Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Dr. Chris Plazina is a licensed psychologist, retired professor, and an award-winning author. He has been in practice for more than 25 years, working in areas like depression, anxiety, grief and loss, relationship problems, and pet bereavement. He particularly specializes in male clients and looking at how men's psychological well-being relates to their bond with their dogs. And given the challenges men can often face in terms of forming healthy connections, he's made it his mission to look at how dogs and other animals can provide a much-needed connection for middle-aged men in particular. So, Chris, you are a psychodynamic therapist. Can you explain what that is? Part of this is I was a professor for 20 years and a researcher, and this really became the focus we all have potential conflicts that we have to face in life. And uh, Ford talked about this in terms of ones divided between work and love. No matter what we do, we have some version of those division of responsibilities in our life. And um, usually there are some hiccups and bumps that go with that. And not always, but a lot of times the foundation for those bumps come from some of the things that happened when you were growing up. And uh, some things that didn't go quite right, and hopefully for most folks, uh, some things that did that helped them kind of survive growing up into adulthood. I um, I can definitely relate to that, as I'm sure most people can, because even though our parents tried to do the best that they could, you know, there's just some things that fell through the cracks and some experiences that definitely caused trauma, maybe not intentionally, but is stuff that is so important to be able to look at and work on as adults. So, Chris, you work specifically or or you focus a lot on men and male clients. That's right. So I've specialized in working with men for almost 25 years now. I've been lucky in that I, I found therapy pretty early on in my adulthood. But I know that typically men are pretty reticent to seek therapy, seek help. None of us want to ask for directions even. I know that's me. You know, we all want to do it ourselves. That's right. That gets us in trouble on some levels. In North America especially, men don't like to seek help. They usually have pretty negative attitudes toward help-seeking of any kind. But Michael Kimmel, who does a lot of work about men's psychology and men's issues, estimated that there still are probably 70-75% of males in North America who still really are at least influenced, if not sometimes burdened by more traditional notions of what it means to be a man. I would say probably 25 or 30 percent of the male clients that I see uh, were kind of mandated by their partner. It's either get help or this relationship or marriage is over. But the thing that happens with that for a lot of those folks, even those folks who feel like it's a mandate, is they realize somewhere along the way that doing this kind of work is actually for them. It's not to make one more concession in a relationship that feels cumbersome or compromising. It's trying to have more fulfilling relational lives. What is it about having a dog that can possibly sort of bridge this gap for men specifically? I think that's a great question and one I've been thinking about for more than 15 years now. I mean, I have my own history in terms of growing up and how important dogs were for me. I can think of one story that I think about. 
We had a gentle German shepherd who, on days when our little house filled with 10 people were particularly crowded, I'd sit on the back steps of the house and talk things over with my dog and relay some of the events that were going on on the other side of that brick wall. And I distinctly remember my gentle German shepherd would not stare at me directly, but do a type of catch and release look and glance away. And I'm not kidding. Uh, In my training as a psychologist, that connection and those moments became the kind of foundational experience for what I thought a good listener could and should be. Wow, Chris, that's a beautiful memory. That really is. And I think that a lot of kids were able to find that with their pets because um, they're wonderful listeners. For a while, I thought, well, maybe that's just me. And as I started working with male clients, I found that it wasn't just me. From the male clients who talked about their animal companions in a way that was unique, you need at least one good connection growing up. And for some folks, that good connection is their dog or their cat or their horse. Their eyes lit up when they talked about this connection. And that wasn't always the case when they talked about their closest friends, family, or romantic partner. So I knew something was here that really needed to be explored further. A special kind of bond that really underscores that notion of man's best friend. Oh, absolutely. So this underscores something that Freud, who actually was a big dog fan, uh, talked about in some of his writings. Why are dogs such an important presence in our life? He really emphasized the notion that they are an emotional constant. The phrase that he used sometimes was, dogs love their friends and bite their enemies. You know what to predict in terms of their behavior and responses. Unfortunately, with our human companions... It's not always so predictable. And sometimes we get widely different responses in our most vulnerable moments than we hoped that we would. With dogs, they're not automatons by any means. For good or for bad, they let us know, oh, we're a little too close right now, or they are consoling when we're upset. That sense of an emotional presence that's a constant really speaks to all of us but especially, I think, to men in some particular ways that lets that relationship feel safe in a way that we're really not accustomed to. Now, I was working with a with an organization called Dogs Deserve Better, and Dogs Deserve Better was founded by somebody who wanted to work with dogs who were living their lives outside chained and dogs that were abused. And the founder of Dogs Deserve Better ended up buying Michael Vick's Property, the football player who was arrested around his dog fighting. And I do find that just in the work that I was doing with them, that it was mostly males that were involved in abuse and dog fighting, all of these things, which does not surprise me. But I'm wondering if there's something that you can speak to on on behalf of that idea. Well, I think when moments of frustration and some folks will refer to as a type of toxic masculinity mixed together, even with the, the people that we love the most, and if those people happen to be our dogs, there can be moments where that kind of toxic way of interacting gets in the way and it spoils what could be a more deepening type of connection. Sometimes, and I think we could talk about this from a number of different angles, but you know, there was a study that came out not too long ago, a few years ago, that looked at dog handlers. They looked at male and female dog handlers in an agility competition. 
one of the findings was that the male testosterone level was highly predictive of the stress hormone in dogs. So if you had a rough run or you felt frustrated, the researchers concluded psychologically and physically that the male handlers were more likely to pass on that frustration to their dogs and it registered with them. I have a friend that uh, is very close to me and he grew up in a quite an abusive home and never had a dog growing up, but as an adult, he wanted a dog because he loved them so much, but he was so afraid because he was, he was very afraid of the idea that he might actually abuse this dog or hurt this dog in some way. And he was very, very nervous. He was petrified once he got the dog and slowly the relationship evolved to such a beautiful place. And it taught him that he didn't need to hurt other people. He didn't need to hurt himself. And it was all through the relationship with the dog that helped him then have healthy human relationships and intimate love relationships. Some of the things that make males feel like they rock on a tightrope every day, and it's either you're being a man or you're not. And for some folks, there's not a lot of leeway there, and that places them in psychological conflict. You know, we've been talking a lot about the importance of how dogs can impact us. One of the more difficult times uh, a person can have is when they lose their animal companion. Just like men are not socialized or trained, so to speak, to be able to comfortably deal with issues of connection and attachment, attachment and loss are two sides of the same coin. Mm. So a lot of us are not prepared to deal and have the skill set to implement when somebody we really feel connected to, we lose. We don't know what to do with that. It's some of the research that looks at males' response to, to loss of their dogs, it becomes a type of disenfranchised loss, which means males feel uncomfortable initially about sharing because talking about someone you deeply care about, even if it's your dog, can be a violation of some of the male role norms that are still around. But then if the response that we get, whether it's on an individual or a family or a cultural level, is why are you so upset about the loss of your dog? It was just a dog. Right. Anybody who has loved a dog knows it's not just a dog. Yeah, They are at least a close friend, if not a family member. So males are really put in a conundrum there in terms of how to deal with that loss. I know I felt that way after I lost my dog, Kelsey. I didn't know what to do with this. So part of my work uh, in terms of helping as much as I can to talk about the importance of animal companions is it's in really just kind of recognition to the bonds with animal companions that have touched my life. And there's a fancy way to reference this, and it's called a continuing bond. This is the idea that with the people or animal companions that we have that we've lost we recognize it's a real loss and they're gone. And at the same time, we seek to establish a new type of connection with them. And people do this in different ways. Some people do it in a tangible way. They create art. I have a statue of my dog, Sadie, who I was best friends with for 16 years. sits on my desk, say good morning to her every morning right beside her ashes. Some people will carry pictures or be a part of a community forum on pet loss on the Internet. That's great. 
other people will find a type of cause to be a part of where maybe it was violence that took their dog. So they lend themselves to a type of social cause that will benefit other dogs and people as a way of remembering a new type of connection uh, with an old bond. So people do this in lots of different ways, but the importance of being able to carry and capture all that we experience with our animal companions is paramount. That's such an important concept. I know that for myself, and this just sort of happened organically, my hairy soulmate was named Tiny Tim. And when he passed, he was a uh, a three-legged pit mix and he was not tiny, but uh, he had lost his leg. So they called him Tiny Tim because it happened on Christmas Eve. Anyway, when he passed, I was walking around the streets weeping. I was I was a wreck and very much adrift. And I started about, maybe it was a few weeks later, maybe a month, I saw this posting on Facebook about the New York City shelter and how they had a particular type of volunteer program that would bring in volunteers to basically give the dogs on the euthanasia list for the next morning their last meals and their last walks. And that touched me. And I remember going up there to the shelter, petrified, and I imagined my dog, Tiny Tim, walking alongside of me as I was walking up the street and I imagined him saying, you can do this. And he jumped into my heart and just kind of curled into my heart. But his loss, the loss of this great love of my life, inspired me to start a foundation to raise money for rescue groups and to help these dogs get out of shelters, to help dogs avoid euthanasia, get training, and to help rescue groups that are doing all the heavy lifting And I think it's really kind of what you just spoke about. And it has helped me immensely because it's a legacy of sorts that Tiny Tim brought into my life. That is such a great story. (laughs) I'm going to start crying. Now, Chris, you are an author and quite uh, prolific, I must say. The two that I really wanted to speak about, When Man Meets Dog and Men and Their Dogs, I was hoping you could describe those two books for me, please. The first book looks exclusively at research that links the importance of dogs in men's lives. The other book, When Man Meets Dog, is actually more of a a memoir with a purpose. It, It talks about my own sense of going through attachment and loss with my dogs. And given I was working on those two books at the same time, it really made me approach things both from a more emotional perspective and a reflective perspective and a more academic perspective because I didn't want to write about things that felt fanciful or I couldn't really back up in some way. And where can we find your books? On Amazon. um, I think that would be the easiest way to find them if you're interested in the research part or more of a memoir, too. So Beautiful. I really so appreciate all of the work that you're doing, and and it's really important work. I mean, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg and sort of understanding and harnessing all the valuable lessons that animals can teach us and how we can grow from this. So I think it's such exciting work that you're doing, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I wanted to ask you, Chris, where can we find you online? Chris Blazina, B-L-A-Z-I-N-A, Ph-D, um, dot com. And um, you can send me messages there if you like, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Wonderful. And are you on social media as well? Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, Dr. Chris Blazina. So uh, maybe I'll see some folks there. Oh, I hope so. 
It was really interesting to talk with Chris or Dr. Blazina and hear about his fascinating work in studying how much of an impact dogs can have on men my age. It certainly gives even more weight and context behind the classic phrase, man's best friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.